Welcome to a world where mysteries still exist. Come into the room. I'm sure you noticed the nicely polished wood, the shelves full of books. Some are recognized old favorites, some are unusual, ancient looking. The smell is one of smoke, tobacco, and leather. Pull up a chair next to the fire. Pour yourself a drink. Have a fully stocked bar with all of your favorites. Now let's share with one another as we spend time in the study. Hello everyone. I will say it is great to be back home. I just came back from a long trip to Chicago and New York. I spent 10 days total away from home. And while I had a wonderful time on the trip and it was a lot of fun, that is just too long to be away from home. So I'm sitting here now on the front porch. Got a cold beer in my hand and the sounds of subways and people and sirens and horns and noise is replaced by the sounds of crickets animals that make noise at night here in the south and i love it this is the kind of sound that i like it's already warm outside it's sticky and humid and i can tell that summertime's already coming upon us here in the south but you know what i love it i do love living here even though i have a great time traveling love visiting the big cities this is home for me now i am doing this show today on may 21st Right now it's 8 o'clock p.m. as I record this, so that means that the world did not end today. I'm sure everybody heard about that. There were things all over the subways in New York about it, and people handing out flyers about the end of the world happening today. And you know, I did have to reflect on that and think, it was supposed to be the rapture, right? Maybe that did happen. Maybe people are gone, and maybe some people are left here. Because, you know, I've, I've read a lot in Western tradition and Western culture and even Eastern culture and, and all over about their concepts of hell and what hell means. And, of course, I've read Dante's Inferno and he talks about the, the different circles of hell. And I thought, you know, if the rapture happened, then I would be left in some type of a hell, right? Well, one hell that I've never seen discussed in any of the literature is that which I endured today. Today, I went to a five-year-old's dance recital, and it lasted for four hours. Now, that is hell. I'm glad my wife doesn't listen to my podcast or have any interest in Bizarre Magic, because she probably would not appreciate that comment. But, let's go ahead and get started. It's time again this month to cover somebody who helped form part of the history of Bizarre Magic. This month we're going to cover somebody who was named Bob Lynn. You might not recognize the name Bob Lynn, however you might recognize the name Anthony Raven or Tony Raven. These were the stage names that he went by when he produced most of his work in the Bizarre field. Now, Bob Lynn actually started very early on doing magic performances. At a very young age, he formed an illusion show, and he performed as Black Star the Magician. And he really liked some of the work of Bill Neff, uh, who did the spook shows. And so he did a spook and mystery show that was titled Blackwood's House of Mystery. And this was really one of his, his first professional endeavors in the world of magic. Um, he also got married and 
his wife, Mary Elizabeth Ackerman, she was very knowledgeable about magic. And once they got married, they started working illusions together. And they, they had a team that they called themselves the Amazing Lens and did a lot of standard illusions. So it was later on in life before he really started getting into mentalism. It was really around the 1960s when he started it. And then in 1970, he became a professional mentalist and Anthony Raven first appeared on the scene. And he worked all over the U.S. with an ESP program. And he, his show was called Journey into the Unknown. And that was really when he became Anthony Raven, the person that was known in the bizarre world. And then Anthony Raven was involved in a few periodicals. He published a periodical called The Blue Sheet. There were only six issues, and that was in the 60s. He had one private journal. That one was from 72 to 73, and then the original invocation. That was from 1974 to 1978. And then he was involved in the new invocation from 1979 to 1981. Now, all of those things were important, especially the invocation and new invocation, but perhaps the biggest thing that Raven was a part of was the formation of the Psychic Entertainers Association. In 1978, he formed that along with several other performers, notably Bob Cassidy, and Anthony Raven was the president of the Psychic Entertainers Association, and uh, he was the president from 1978 to 1983. Tony Raven is someone that we have we owe a lot of debt to for helping promote bizarre magic, and that's why we covered him this month. So I mentioned that I spent time today at a kids' dance recital, and even though it was long and at times a little painful, I try to take what I can out of performances, and that's going to be my subject for this podcast uh, as far as performance goes. So I want you to think about what you get out of any type of a performance when you witness it. Now, as I said, I did just get back from a trip to Chicago and New York, and I saw four different shows, each one of them completely different. And I took different parts of information from each show. And I want to give you a concrete example, and I'll go ahead and start with the uh, dance show that I went to today. The stage set was actually very, very good. The dance teacher puts a lot of time into and thought and, and work into creating good stage sets, and she's really serious about teaching dance. And I will say that there are some, uh, some older dancers that are really good. So the main thing in any type of performance is what kind of feeling do you get from the performance? So I tried to take that into consideration as I watched the show today. Now, there was not a whole lot of feeling for the younger dancers, except for maybe, you know, humor or, oh, that's cute, that kind of thing. But some of the older dancers were good. And some of what they were trying to project was, without a doubt, sexiness. In fact, one of the dads said that he wasn't sure after some of the dances if he should have got out uh, some ones and taken them up to the stage. Considering that the oldest dancers were still in high school and in their teens, that was probably an inappropriate comment. But nonetheless, his feeling had merit. 
And I thought about that, and I thought about what did they do to produce this feeling, aside from obviously their moves. Well, part of it was costume, without a doubt. And I thought about how that applies to what we do. Some of the costumes they had were really great. I mean, they were really good, and they gave a certain type of feel to the performance just by what they were wearing. I think that's something that magicians can consider when you're going to perform. Think about what kind of mood you would like to project or what kind of image you would like to project and use your costuming to achieve that. Now, I'm not saying that that's something that I necessarily always apply to myself. I I guess it depends on what I'm trying to get out of the show. I would like to evoke a sense of mystery and wonder, of course, and um, some weirdness. But I'll admit that costumes are not necessarily my thing because one of the things I like to project or portray is that I'm a pretty normal person who likes to do some unusual things. Therefore, I tend to dress in uh, jeans or, or a little bit nicer. I remember once reading, dress a little bit nicer than your crowd or the one I liked even better was dress like you have somewhere better to go later. I'm sorry, I can't remember who said that, so I can't uh, give them credit for that comment. But costume is one of the things to consider when you're doing a performance. Now, another thing to consider is lighting. As I watch performances, I've really noticed how the lighting is used to create a certain feel. Now, this didn't happen so much in the dance show today. Their lighting was pretty standard. It was basically subdued stage lights with a spot and, uh, you know, not a whole lot with color and the like. But some of the other shows I watched, I was really impressed about the use of lighting. Now, I know that everybody listening to this is not necessarily performing on a stage and can't control lighting to that extreme. But in Bizarre Magic, candlelight is something that's always been popular or been used. And part of the reason why is because it creates an atmosphere just from the use of the candlelight. So candlelight might be very good. It's also pretty easy now to have uh, lights, little LED lights and the like, if you'd like to use that to throw light a certain direction. Um, Lights in boxes as you open them up. You can use colored gels and the like to to make different colors. I haven't done this in my own uh, work or performance. I'm just throwing ideas out there because this is the kind of brainstorming I like to do. Now, finally, one of the other things that probably should be the most obvious is the spoken word. Now, during dance, obviously, the spoken word is not used a whole lot, but during other performances, it is. It's not only the words you say, but it's also how you say them. Your tone, where you put your emphasis, and I would suggest that it's really worth it to spend time thinking about how you phrase things and how you say things when you present them. Thinking back, one of the people who really impressed me with his ability to do this was Christian Kajigal. I saw him perform when I was in San Francisco, and the way he used his words was really very powerful and very strong. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me, thinking about how well he used his words to present a feeling. So... I would invite you, if you go to see any kind of performances, to think about what you feel at that moment and what goes into making you feel that way. I would also suggest you go see any kind of performance as you can 
There are community theaters that do performances that are cheap. In Little Rock, we're lucky to have the Arkansas Repertory Theater, which does a great job of doing some top-notch performances. In fact, a lot of those performers are uh, from New York and come in just to do theater here. But you can also do uh, just any kind of show, any kind of performance. If someone is on stage performing, I would like you to consider how they make you feel and what they did to create that feeling. Because once you're cognizant of that, you can take those ideas and use those in your own work. Well, it's that time of the podcast to do my review on some magic products that are out there. So far, you may notice that everything I've reviewed have been books. And the reason for that is because books are primarily what I buy. I really enjoy books, and I think that it's very valuable for magicians to read. I know that DVDs are very popular now, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox about my theory on DVDs, but just to keep it pretty brief, I think for the most part they're overpriced as compared to what you get in books. Secondly, I think you have the problem of picking up on someone else's performing style when watching a DVD, which is something that I don't really care for. And personally, I would just rather read a book than watch a DVD. Anyway, like I said, I'm not going to get on a soapbox about that because I know a lot of people disagree with that and a lot of people would rather watch a DVD. And there are some advantages to it. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Let me get back on track, which is a review of some books. Now, I want to tell you right off the right, right off the bat that I am involved in one of these books. I wrote a small part for it, but aside from that, I don't I don't make any money or anything like that off of this. So this is a pretty unbiased uh, review. Now, the books are Freddie Valentine's books on occult magic. His first one is Occult Magic and Introduction. Now his books are primarily about the performance side of bizarre and occult magic. The books aren't a collection of effects or anything like that. Now the first one, the, the introduction, I think is really good as an introduction for performing this style of magic and kind of a brief overview of divination. Freddie gives you the basic theory and insight into props and crafting stories around the props and sources for some of the props too. He doesn't just stick with theory though. He gives you an example of the story attached to a particular prop so that you can see that theory in practice. Uh, Freddie also gives you the scoop on how to use those elements in crafting a show. He tells you how he structures his shows and includes specific pieces that he performs in that first book. So that would be helpful to a person who has questions about that style of performing or someone who's not entirely familiar with it or how to structure it. Now he has in that book too. I do have a, a brief history on uh, tarot cards, so I'll go ahead and, and throw that out there as well. Now volume two is also available now, and there's some pieces in there on and this is Lord Freddie's words on planting seeds in your audience's mind, pulse reading, making and selling pitch books, hypnotic time travel, making an audience member into a trance medium, and lots more. And then there's also material from Nick Taylor and Stephen Ward. And that bonus material is really good, I would like to say. It's not just something thrown in to uh, pad the book. It's, it's good stuff. So that second book, it has a lot. Of, again, it's not a book of routines, but again, they're practical ideas that will make your presentation stronger. And when you read his books, you can tell that this isn't just random information that he read somewhere and decided to incorporate it into a book. 
this is stuff that he has done and these are tips and information that he's learned from performing and presenting these routines think about how great it would be to sit down with somebody who's an experienced performer and ask them questions and get information from them and find out how they do the things that they do well that's what you get when you get Freddie's books I think there's a lot of value in that and I highly recommend them you can check them out go to my website and I've got links to his page where you can buy these books So, as usual, I'm going to take a minute to promote my website and some of the products that I have. That's just part of listening to the show. If you go to www.paulprater.com and then click on the store page, you'll see some of the items that I have for sale. One of the first items I'd like to draw your attention to is Maleficium. This is my first book. It's a book full of bizarre magic effects. You can buy it from me, you can purchase it from your local dealer, or you can get it online from Leaping Lizards Magic. They are the publisher and also carry the book. I also have The Magic of the Medicine Show. If you're interested in medicine show performance, characters, how I did my setup, and some ideas on promotion, then it's a book that you may enjoy. It also comes with a DVD with performance material on it. I also have The Witch of Glastonbury, which is a wonderful effect created by Peter Marucci that he was kind enough to let me produce and distribute out on the market. Check that out. I think it's something that bizarre performers would enjoy. And I want to point out that you don't have to be a finger flinger to do this effect. It's not any kind of fancy sleight of hand. It's more or less self-working. Just a little bit of work with the cards and you'll have it down in no time. And my most recent offering is The Secret Key. This is a haunted key set and package. It, it involves, a, it's got a box, it's got a haunted key. It also has a printed cloth that has a chart for doing your pendulum reading. And it also has a magic square on it that you can use. Uh, the whole package is very nice. You can use it either by itself, just doing something as simple as the haunted key, or you can really build upon the routine by using the things that come along with it. I've had good response. I think it's something that you would enjoy, and I would invite you to go check it out. Again, my website is www.paulprater.com. Now, as I stated earlier, I had the good fortune of being in Chicago recently, and while I was there, I had the ability to go see the Magic Cabaret. This is a show that's been running for several years that features David Parr and P.T. Murphy, and their show is something that I would highly recommend that everyone experience. There's my review in a nutshell, but now let me tell you why. First of all, the theater itself. I like the theater. It was nice. It was not giant. It was just the perfect size for an intimate cabaret show. Additionally, it was easy to get to. It was easy to find, and I just thought it was a really great space. The second thing that I liked about the show is the acting, or almost lack of acting, you could say. The way that P.T. and David interact seems so natural that it doesn't feel like acting. That's one thing that was absolutely great about the show. They both put you at ease. You feel like you really can understand their characters. And they interact with the audience in such a way that you feel that you are truly a part of the show. And that's something that I really appreciated about it. It wasn't melodramatic or over the top or anything like that. It was really fun. And the great thing about it is they can get away with presenting some rather bizarre effects 
but in a completely fun way as well. And that's part of what made the show so good. I think that if they tried to be over the top or, or too dark, it probably wouldn't work with the show. And I'm not one that needs to say that. They're obviously well aware of how to structure their show since they did such a fine job with it. It was fun because they did some things like PT did cups and balls, which is one of my favorites still. And the way he did it was so great. He he made fun of the uh, smart-ass magician out there that likes to make fun of their audience. And that brings me to another part of the show I really liked. It's very intelligent, and they don't take their audience for granted. They don't treat their audience as if they're dumb. And they really speak to their audience in a very smart and intelligent way. And that's something that I really appreciate that often isn't present in a lot of shows these days. So all in all, I think it was just a great show. If you're in Chicago, I highly recommend it. And check on my website. I have links to information about the show. Now, not only did I have the good fortune of seeing the show, but I also had the ability to hang out with David one day. And I was also able to get a short interview with him. Now, this isn't something that we're going to do every month, but every now and then I might have an interview with somebody out there in the bizarre world. So what I'm going to do is be quiet and let David speak for himself. Hello, I am sitting here with David Parr after a wonderful evening of food and drinks and looking around museums and everything else in Chicago. I wanted to ask him a few questions for the podcast. First, David, what got you interested in bizarre magic? Um... I started attending the uh, invocational conventions here in Chicago in the 1980s. And um, at that point, I was doing comedy magic. And um, I, I really never intended to move in the weirder direction. Um, but I, I found now that I'm looking back at it, uh, I think the experience of attending those conventions um, introduced to me the idea that there there were more directions, more paths to follow than just comedy magic or illusions or manipulation acts. Um, that that it was possible to perform magic that was um, strange, uh, mysterious, maybe even disturbing. And uh, I, I don't think without that experience I would have realized that, that, that there were other paths of, of expression available. Um, so I, I think that was... That was a very important experience for me. And then, you know, I, I think my work sort of gradually moved in that direction without my being conscious of it. Uh, I just started um, incorporating themes and uh, presentations that, that were things that interested me. Um, and as I started introducing more of my um, myself into my work, uh, it just started moving in that direction, in a stranger uh, direction. And it was only later 
when people, uh, particularly after the brain food came out, my first book, people started referring to it as bizarre magic, and I hadn't really thought of it that way. Uh, but but then when I thought about it, it was like, oh yeah, the werewolves and you know poison and things like that. It was like, oh yeah, I guess it is. So, so it was it was a gradual thing, uh, and it wasn't a, a conscious decision on my part. All right, and what's been a highlight of your career so far? A highlight of my career in the sense of um, uh, an accomplishment that I'm proud of. Sure. Um, well, I, writing the first book was a was a major effort. It was um, uh, a set of lecture notes first, and then, and then uh, I expanded it into a book, and then uh, it's it sat in one of Stephen Minch's file cabinets for about six years. And then when he said that he was ready to publish it, and I looked at it, it was it was like, wow, I've I'm a I've become a better writer uh, in this period, so I'm going to rewrite this. And uh, so I, I think I learned a lesson uh, there about uh, you know it's a good idea when we when we create something to to set it aside for a period so that we can come back to it with a fresh perspective and maybe see things that we couldn't have at first and um and to not rush uh, you know sometimes uh cr the creative process takes time and and uh and growth occurs without our being aware of it and when we come back to something later after some time has passed we see it with new eyes and I think that was really important for me. So I'm very proud of the work I did on that book. I, I think it's, it's very good for a first effort. Um, well, I, I agree, and I, I think anybody who's read it would have to agree as well. So where do you see yourself in the next few years professionally? Uh, well, we've been doing a show here. Uh, P.T. Murphy and I have been doing a show here called The Magic Cabaret. And it's it's every week, and um, it's it's been a great experience. And I I really would like for that show to just continue running uh, every week. It's been a great way to develop new material. Uh, I, I have control over the circumstances in which people are experiencing my work which is really important to me um, uh, you know I, I spent a lot of years doing work in restaurants and at, at parties and that became less and less appealing to me because I didn't have control uh, and uh, you know interruptions might happen and I, I had all these goals all these things that I wanted to accomplish you know create a mood um, t tell a story that's complex and takes time 
and all these things I couldn't accomplish them in the places where I was doing magic you know at a cocktail party or in a restaurant I couldn't accomplish the things I really wanted to do but now I'm in a place every week where I can accomplish those goals and so I really like to continue exploring those uh, those things uh, that you can only do in a theatrical setting uh, with with lighting and sound and full control over what the audience is going to experience uh, so uh, I'd like to continue the process of growth that that has afforded me uh, is that an answer yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and in your performances or after your performances, anytime you've performed, what's one of the best responses or most unusual responses you've received from someone who's witnessed your performance? Um, I've, uh, it's kind of hard to, uh, to shock me anymore because I, I, I've realized that people, everyone processes the performance differently. And they're bringing so much of themselves to my show. Um, and you, you just can never tell how someone's going to process that show. And for some people, it's, you know, it's a, it's a magic show. And for other people, it's, there's something something more is happening and um, you know I've had people uh, for instance we used to do a, a, a spirit cabinet routine at the end of the show that was the closing piece in the show and before I went into the cabinet we did the uh, pulse stop effect where my it, it seems as if my pulse stops and we would always get somebody from the audience to come up and take my pulse and confirm that it was had vanished and I had entered this state of um, suspended animation basically or near death and that was what was going to enable me to communicate with the spirits and um, there were a couple of times where we got a doctor there happened to be a doctor in the audience to come up and take my pulse and and these people who are supposed to have you know full knowledge of human anatomy uh, uh, responded to this effect in such a, a strange way to me I mean they were thoroughly convinced that my pulse had stopped <laughs> and it's like if anyone should know that that's just simply not possible it, a doctor should know and you know I, the the one physician said wow you know that was really an amazing thing you were able to do with your body and and as he walked away i thought well, i'm glad he's not my doctor because that's that's crazy and uh another woman who was the one taking my pulse during the show uh, she specialized in sports medicine and she said I have clients who would pay so much money to learn to 
to have the amount of control you have over your body. And again, I just thought, wow, I'm glad that's not my doctor. Um, so, you know, you just can't anticipate how people are going to process that information in the show. And um, so I, I, I'm not shocked anymore by people's responses, but, it, but it's fascinating to me. It's, it's really fascinating because it, it's, a, it's a glimpse into a perspective that I can't have on my work. I'm so close to it that I can never have that perspective. So I'm always very attuned to what people say. Um, I think it would be very foolish to not pay attention uh, because there's, there's a glimpse into uh, a perspective I, I can never have. So when, it's, when, it's, when I'm given those glimpses, I really pay attention. That's, that's great, and that makes sense. Um, one final question. Tell everybody out there something about yourself that has nothing to do with magic that most people just don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have webbed toes. <laughs> that's great. Well, we've, we've had some time here with, with David Parr. We've had a fun time. You guys go and check out his website. That's right. But you guys check out his website. And if you're in Chicago, definitely check out his show. And look at my website. I have links to his show. And you'll find everything there. Thanks again. So the past two episodes, I've had stories that I've told you that maybe you could incorporate into your work. And I have some stories this time as well, but there's a little bit of a different focus. Instead of me just telling you some stories, I would like to make some suggestions to you for how you can find your own stories. Now, I live in Arkansas, and for those of you who have never been to Arkansas, you very well may think, what is there in Arkansas and what can you draw on to create stories? Well, we have a town in Arkansas called Hot Springs. It's a wonderful tourist town, and if you ever make your way here, I highly recommend it. It's the only place in the state that has gambling, and it also has three lakes, great restaurants. It has natural hot springs, hence the name. It has bathhouses that capture those springs, spas, shopping, just a wonderful place. But I don't work for the Hot Springs Visitors and Convention Bureau, though it sounds like it. Uh, but we do have a house in Hot Springs and like to go there and like to spend time there. But what does any of this have to do with Bizarre Magic? Well, it's simple. There's a lot of good stories in Hot Springs, so I thought I would start digging in and seeing what all I could find that could be used in the Bazaar. Now let me give you some examples of some of the most unusual things i found. First of all, I found somebody's website where they believe that Hot Springs, Arkansas is the site of the lost city of Atlantis. That's right, the lost city of Atlantis. Now you might wonder why that is. One of the things that Arkansas, or excuse me, Hot Springs is famous for is that it is one of the largest and richest deposits of quartz crystals anywhere in the world. Now, as you're likely aware, as people who are interested in the bazaar, quartz crystals are highly prized in uh, New Age occult studies. They're used for purification and focusing of energy and the like. 
And so I said all that, and I'm still not really sure how that ties into Atlantis. But with the whole crystal thing and all that, there's another theory here. Because of this large field of crystals, a lot of people believe that Hot Springs is a place that's a focal point for energy. And not only a focal point for energy, but also potentially a portal. Uh, some people have suggested that it's a stargate. Some people have suggested that it is a portal to the underworld or some other reality. Now, the thing is, no one apparently has found this stargate. Uh, I've certainly never seen it while I've been there. But there is the theory that maybe it's just not formed yet. Since all these crystals are underground, maybe that the time has not come for the opening of the gate yet. So I know this is kind of some, some out there stuff, but um, you can find that kind of stuff on the internet. Now, another thing about Hot Springs, besides all of that, is it has a great, rich history. Native Americans came to Hot Springs for the waters. They thought that they were healing waters. And even today, it's great. They have these fountains where water flows out of them, and you can go and fill up your jugs full of this natural Hot Springs water flowing right out of the ground. It's great. And people do travel there still for the Hot Springs. They go to the bathhouses and the water is piped directly in from the springs into the bathhouses. So there's the idea that there's this natural healing water there. Now, in the 1920s, Hot Springs became a mecca for some unsavory characters. A lot of the mafia guys were known to come to Hot Springs in order to relax. In fact, Al Capone was a regular there. And the funny thing is when the gangsters were there, the rule was no fighting. All of their business, basically, was off limits. That was their vacation place and a time for them to relax. And there's still a mobster museum in Hot Springs and some clubs are still there, one of which was actually owned by Al Capone. It's a very interesting history there. Then there are also stories of hauntings and of ghosts. The story of the ghost is one that's just almost too perfect for a magician and it occurred in hot springs at, at this theater that was called the malco and originally it, it was a theater for a long long time at least as back as far as the 1880s and the original theater at that spot was called the palace theater and they did vaudeville and other acts until 1882 and then it was torn down for a victorian style opera house and the opera house was successful until world war one when it had to close down and then after the war, it was reopened, but then closed down again, and it was demolished to make way for the second incarnation of the Princess Theater in 1910. And that princess actually showed motion pictures until 1935 when it was torn down, and then yet another theater took its place um, in 1935, and that was the Malco Theater. And that building still exists on that spot today, and it's still in use. Now, in 1995, the theater was actually purchased by a magician in Hot Springs named Maxwell Blade, and he claimed that during renovations, he discovered an old trunk with the name Jerome Schmittar inscribed on it and became intrigued. And then after some research, he claimed that this was a German magician that had performed in the theater in the 1880s. And according to legend, it was at one of his performances that something very strange happened. On August 28, 1888, the magician was finishing his set when he asked a woman named Clara Sutherland in the audience to join him on the stage. 
and once she came up there he covered her with a red sheet and he pulled it away seconds later to reveal that she had disappeared. After the applause had quieted, he ordered her to reappear, but nothing happened. And the story goes that he tried again and again, but she never did reappear. And to this date, it's still a mystery what happened to her. Many people said that she was supposed to marry a man who she had no interest in, and rather than marry him, she chose that opportunity to run away and to never reappear again. But the thing is, it's said that the apparition of a woman haunts the basement of the theater today and has been sighted a few times. Sometimes there's been screams that have heard, been heard coming from the empty building, and members of the staff have said they've seen objects that move on their own. And Damon Reinbold, who is a magician and performer, also did some seances there at the Malco Theater. That's one of the stories, and another one has to do with a hotel called the Belle de Rose. There, a man committed suicide, and his ghost is said to still wander. And there was also a fight in the hallways there, and a man was killed, and his ghost is said to still wander the premises. So right there are some great stories right away, and any of those stories could be used to develop routines. Now consider the fact that if you're actually performing in one of those cities, you could have a routine that's even stronger by developing those stories into part of your performance. Now I am going to put a link on my website that lists haunted places. It's really a great place. It's called the Haunted Places Index. And you can choose your state. And then within that state, it lists all the cities and tells you what kind of haunted information is there. So that would be a great start. And check that out. And uh, good luck on creating your own bizarre routines that involve your local history. So now I'm going to do an album review. And you might ask, why are you doing an album review? Because this is a magic podcast, and that would be a pretty relevant question. There's two reasons why I'm going to do an album review. One, because it's my podcast and I can do whatever I like. And two, actually, let's make that three reasons. Two, because I want to promote this band because I think the guys are great. And three, and this is how it relates to magic, because this band and their albums, and one album in particular, have inspired me. A lot of people ask how magicians create, how they come up with ideas, uh, what gives them inspiration? Well, music gives me a lot of inspiration, and this band in particular gives me inspiration. The band is called The Sword, and they're from Austin, Texas. You may or may not have heard of The Sword. If you have, it may be because they toured with Metallica on their last tour. However, if you are a Metallica fan, don't let that be a turnoff. The Sword is an excellent band, and if you like hard rock music from the 70s until today, there's a lot to like about The Sword. Now, the album in particular that I'm going to review is their first album, and it's called Age of Winters. This album is great. You can get it online through their website for $9, and I'll have a link to their website so that you can check them out, listen to some of their music, look at some of their videos. Um, their albums have very strong thematic elements to them that are really great. And Age of Winters in particular has a theme of, of Scandinavian Norse gods fighting war, um, goddesses, 
that kind of thing. It's uh, a really strong album. The sound has been compared to Black Sabbath. I personally don't really think they sound like Black Sabbath, but I can see where that comparison would come in. They also have a sound that might be considered stoner rock. It's part of it's repetitious, but it's hard and it's driving, and they write some hooks that are just incredible. To give you an idea, too, where they come from, the singer wanted to be an artist and wanted to do comic books, and he picked up the guitar when he was a teenager, and they went the route of music rather than comic books. But imagine if somebody who was writing a comic book such as Conan the Barbarian decided to put it to music. That's what it reminds me of. Uh, I think it's great. I can't recommend I can't recommend Age of Winters highly enough. But I'll tell you, their other two albums, Gods of the Earth and Warp Riders, are terrific too. Uh, they just have different themes that don't necessarily appeal to me as much, though the music is incredible, particularly Warp Riders, their newest album, but it's a very sci-fi feel. Even though I said it was an album review of Age of Winters, and it is, I'm mentioning Warp Riders because they have a trio of videos that tell a story, and Warp Riders also is, is a, the entire album tells a story each song you know furthers that story but they've got a trilogy of videos that go along with the album that you ought to check out you can pop over to my site paulprater.com go to the study page and i'll have a link down there on the information for episode two i have additional information but i would highly recommend you check them out if you can see them live on tour they put on a heck of a show and um if I can manage to figure it out, I might even have a live video up from one of the shows that I visited so that you can hear them. And if I do that, it will be my favorite song called Winter's Wolves off of Age of Winters. Check them out. I hope you like them. So we had something a little different this time. Had a nice interview with David and kind of some different ideas. I'm going to try my best to make this show monthly, and I'm going to try to keep the content good, and hopefully it's something that everybody finds enjoyable, and everyone is finding something useful out of each episode. Each episode has grown a little longer, and I'm going to try to keep everything under an hour, because I don't really know that anyone wants to listen for more than an hour at a time. And I will try to keep these fairly regularly about mid-month. Sometimes on months like this when I'm out of town, it's going to take a little bit longer to get the podcast together. But I'm going to try to be fairly consistent with that. Just like in my last podcast, I'm renewing the offer. If anyone ever wants me to help in any way, I would be happy to do so. I love to read ideas. I love to help in any way that I can give feedback on, on ideas, on text, anything like that. So feel free to contact me or you don't have to have an idea for anything. If you just want to chat, if you want to send me a, an email or tell me what you think about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to just shoot me an email and let me know. My email address is paul at paulprater.com that's p-a-u-l at paulprater p-a-u-l-p-r-a-t-e-r dot com and feel free to shoot me an email about whatever you can also find me on facebook if you go through my website which is www.paulprater.com i have a link on the first page that'll take you to my facebook page and uh, find me on facebook as well and we can chat there if you would prefer 
But for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I truly do appreciate it, and I appreciate the positive feedback that I've received so far. Again, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. And until next month, I'm Paul Prater. Thank you.